Please pray with me. God of the beginning and new beginnings in Christ, we gather to hear your word and silence the noise around us that we might be startled with your truth. And in hearing, let us decide again and again to follow your son to the life you intend for each of us. It is in his name, Jesus our Christ, we pray. Amen. I was six weeks old when I was baptized, and the only reason I know this is that when my aunt was cleaning out, she sent me a photo as a way for me to remember. It's a small black and white photo, and you can tell that it was taken by a brownie camera, and those of you who are my generation or older know what a brownie camera picture looks like. You don't take them with iPhones. They're little black square ones. In this I see my grandparents very young. I almost couldn't recognize them. And they're holding this white bundle that I would not have thought it was me had I not been told that that was me. It seems so foreign, but it's my baptism in this photo from a bygone era. Needless to say, I don't remember anything about that day, the service, or the promises made to me that day. But the call to remember associated with the sacrament of baptism is more than tripping down memory lane or evident in an ability to tell a story with some semblance of the facts surrounding that event. To remember is to allow an event to influence our behaviors and to animate our lives. With each baptism we witness and in our prayers around our own baptism, we are to reclaim the significance of the sacrament by putting it into our DNA and therefore our daily routine. A simple analogy, and I say simple, but I'm still delighted from the blessings of the animals when the pews were filled with dogs. A simple analogy is when we teach a puppy to remember. For instance, if the puppy has chewed your new winter mittens that you hoped to wear during this winter vortex, and you can't because the puppies chewed them, you scold the puppy, hoping it will remember to choose differently next time it surfs the counter and finds these mittens. On the flip side, when a puppy is asked to come, sit, or stay, and it chooses to comply, it hopes this behavior will be rewarded with praise. Now, it's overly simple, but hopefully illuminates what it means to remember in the same way that we are to remember our own baptism. It's in remembering that we learn to make good choices. In the beginning, when God created, begins the story of God and all that is, framing our dependence entirely on God. And all these are the opening lines to our Bible. Scholars do not believe it is the earliest of the Hebrew writings. In fact, there are many versions of a creation story that sprinkled throughout our sacred texts, and some that are believed to be much older. This story's origin is traced to the Israelites who wrote it during the Babylonian exile. They had experienced God bringing them out of Egyptian slavery through the banks of the Red Sea and into the Promised Land long ago. But in Babylonian captivity, they were again faced with how to live in chaos and how to imagine hope in what seemed like hopeless slavery. This is a story who now remember the time of God creating something good out of nothing. With the temple ruined and their power shattered, they looked for a foundation to trust. And what they chose to remember is what would influence their search for freedom. As they looked around the created world, they found order in the rhythm of day and night, 
In darkness they found peace. In a hostile world threatened by other cultures, the ancient Israelites chose to remember that God's spirit infuses all, everything, all people, and is made for the good. And from this memory, they grounded their choices in a loving, powerful, and creative God, and from that mustered the confidence to create new life for themselves. Now, although I don't think the Wall Street Journal anticipates the lectionary readings like I do, just two weeks ago, it published an article entitled, Science Makes Increasingly Clear the Case for God in which the author, Eric Metaskis, recounts scientific deliberations during the 20th century to determine the plausibility for life to exist anywhere else but the planet Earth. After recounting the increasingly sophisticated approaches to calculate the odds of even our existence, he then quotes the creator of the Big Bang Theory, Fred Hoyne, who says, The common sense interpretation of the facts suggests that a superintellect has monkeyed with the physics as well as the chemistry and biology. The numbers one calculates from the facts seems so overwhelming as to put this conclusion almost beyond question. There was a God behind that theory. Science may try again and again to seek the origin of the universe and to plumb the depths of human existence, and to that I say bravo. The science geek within me loves to share the latest discoveries, and I applaud the benefits of scientific inquiry in medicine and technology. But we don't need to make a choice between believing the creation story of in the beginning and pursuing groundbreaking research. For someone to reject religion and faith because he or she employs critical reasoning and empirical research in life denies the richness of plumbing our entire human existence. Or the opposite, shunning science with an expectation that scriptural writings alone suffice that ignores the technical understanding of the beauty behind God's creation. Scripture is an account through the ages not of how God created, but why God created. What do we believe to be true about our relationships with our creator, our responsibilities to be stewards of creation, and our call to see the divine image in each other? When we hold on to the why questions as we read scripture, we'll be provoked to see more and more of the nature of our creator and ourselves. When we push through the literal for the metaphors that were employed by the original authors, we can be persuaded by a loving God that's far greater than we can imagine. Now, on the second Sunday of Epiphany, we're celebrating the baptism of Jesus, and it seems a bit out of place to jump from the manger just two weeks ago at his birth and just a week ago to the Magi presenting gifts to a small child, to now finding a 30-year-old venturing out into the wilderness. But if we recall, the world into which Jesus was born was hostile and oppressed anyone who was not an elite Roman. Mark tells us that Jesus joined the throngs of Judeans and all the people of Jerusalem. I'd never noticed that word before until this reading, that it was all the people of Jerusalem leaving the city for the wilderness to repent of their sins before John the Baptist. And in that, we also heard what sounds a very familiar word, repent. But I'll confess about the only time I ever hear the word repent is in church. The Common English Bible, which is a fresh scholarly translation based upon the oldest texts, translates the Greek instead of repent to read, the people were changing their hearts and minds. 
In baptism, the people were changing their hearts and minds. People of all ranks were looking for a better way than what they had been experiencing and were willing to change their hearts and minds. At baptism, they turned aside from the ways of life that told them to stay in their place, that slavery was good for them. In baptism, they no longer had to think that they were not good enough. In baptism, they were able to believe by changing their hearts and minds that they would be claimed and redeemed by God. Jesus joins the throngs from all humanity in the simple act of washing away the old way and being recreated in new life as a child of God. Through baptism, we immerse ourselves into the water, and we are joined now with Christ and are made new. As Jesus was given a new name, beloved son in baptism, we receive a Christian name marking our new identity. And here the promises God makes to us are not too small for anyone to notice, for in fact we matter immensely to God in this life and beyond the horizon of the grave. In baptism we are promised life and life eternal through Christ's resurrection. In baptism the church also promises to teach and guide us. The body of the church takes responsibility to teach us to care for the least as Christ did. We promise to teach children the love of neighbor in neighborhoods which are not bounded by zip code or time zone. And we promise to create a safe place to question and to push back and to always welcome back a child in the never-ending life of faith. Those are the promises we make in baptism, and then we're sent out into the world. More than 2,000 years after Jesus' baptism, our world remains hostile. Children kill each other for coats, and fanatics corrupt Islam into an unrecognizable idolatry to become terrorists, and racism continues to separate us based upon color of skin. Too many cannot seem to live in this abundantly good world with anything other than a perspective of scarcity. They'll circle the wagons and reject the outsider, and that's the world into which we're sent. The world, unfortunately, is good at making the faithful feel as though we should be afraid that there's not enough, but God has a different answer. In baptism, we find the power behind everything and can use this power to help us make choices. Remembering God's creation in our baptism helps us make these choices, and rather than start with choosing about the really big problems that I know we have in our life, those that are waiting for you on your iPhone or are playing like a loop in the back of your head, Let's set those aside for a minute. Let's start with something small. In remembering our baptism and making choices to live as though we remember it, let us start with the difference between two simple words. Are you with God or are you in God? And yes, I'm choosing between the prepositions in and with. It matters. Stay with me. Naturally, it's common to say, God be with you. God be with you, you're going on a trip. God be with you, you're going to be away from me for some time. As we venture out of the sanctuary doors, we love to be blessed with saying, God be with you. God be with you till we meet again is a closing hymn I choose as often as possible to assure us that we're always in God's care. Yet, given what we affirm of God who created all, earth, soon, earth sun, moon, and stars, is there any place we can go and escape God? Even the astrophysicists, those that are practical and theoretical, claim that there's a consistent subatomic structure and throughout the extended known time and space, 
They reveal the order and beauty of God. We cannot flee. We are always in God. We were part of God before our birth. We live each day in God's creation, and we are promised a place beyond the grave in a place prepared for us by God. God is always present in our created being. There's a divine image each of us bears, and there's a divine image that we can see in the other when we take off our protective glasses when confronted by someone who's much different from us. To choose I am in God allows us to see beyond race and place of birth or even religion. Now we may fall into doubt or believe that we can turn away from God, but we remain always in God and God in us. The intense focus on the relational aspect of our life in God is fundamental to our ability to grasp that life and the baptismal promise of eternal life is a present reality. We possess it now in an unconditional fashion, and we cannot be separated from it in our lives. The eternal aspect of life and all the good of our relationship with God is something we remember, as the Israelites did in Babylon, to claim a faith in God who created good when all seems desolate and chaotic. So the question before us is, which preposition will you choose? Which way will you live? To be only with God allows you to set aside God for a while as you neglect to live as a Christian on Monday through Friday. But then, in the face of suffering, those who are casually with God may feel abandoned, overwhelmed when the world seems chaotic, and then default back into suspicion or aggression. If you live in God, can you approach the other with confident grace? The Parisians are choosing to be in God with a commitment to freedom and justice and to overcome tragedy and to not be brought down. Which way will you die? To be merely with God, never claiming the eternal life before birth and extending beyond the grave, leads to an end of life that can be bound with anger at the loss of control over our bodies and our lives. Or... Through the suffering of Jesus on the cross and God's emptying of the tomb, can that nurture our confidence in the unity we have through baptism to know that our lives are eternally in God? To truly remember baptism is the daily work for the rest of our lives. It is saying yes to the world and yes to a life lived in the love of God. Thanks be to God.